why don't you open up with me the book of Joshua. And we will see if the Lord will smile on us tonight. We could go all the way to Joshua chapter 4, but we'll see if the Lord will smile or if he tells me to slow down. As uh, we take a look, Joshua, for you and I. The concepts we're going to be looking at in the book of Joshua is all about us apprehending our inheritance. And when we study the book of Joshua, we need to recognize it from that point of view. It's about apprehending our inheritance. Jesus Christ said that he came to give us life and life more abundantly. But really, most of us, we don't experience, we don't lay our hands on that inheritance that Jesus promised, the abundant life. Part of the reason we don't is because we may find ourselves mixed together with some of the tribes of Israel. For example, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh who decided that where they were was far enough. So they never progress. They stay where they are. The book of Hebrews tells us that there's a, a... Danger in not progressing. If we don't progress, if we're not moving forward with the Lord, we are falling behind. Because Jesus said that this journey that we have, this Christian life, he likens to a what? A walk. So if you and I go for a walk and I'm not moving, what happens? I get left behind. I get left behind. Jesus, when he tells, or the Lord, when he tells the children of Israel, when he says, okay, as everywhere you put the sole of your foot, I've given it to you, right? So if they didn't walk, if they didn't step into that place, if they didn't apprehend that inheritance, did they get it? No. Scriptures tell us, if we go by the borders that God set, there were 300,000 square miles to the nation of Israel. At their zenith, the best they had was 30,000. That's 10% of everything that God had for them. The borders today run all the way to Euphrates River. That's about half of Iraq being gone. That would be part of Israel. All of Jordan, all of Lebanon, parts of Syria. When we take a look at, at all those nations, we go by God's boundaries. Wherever you put the sole of your foot. But the Lord said, if you don't go, I'm not going to chase them out. If you go... I'll give you victory. If everywhere you put the sole of your foot, I'll give you the victory, and we'll continue to move forward into everything that the Lord has. Well, when we see, so when we study Joshua, let's have eyes to see that. Where is God directing us to step? We're going to see as the Lord lays out his instructions to Joshua, he gives him his instructions step by step. He doesn't tell him everything. He says, okay, now I want you to go tell the priest to get the ark. Then I want you to tell the priest to take the ark down to the Jordan River. And as Joshua stepped out and was obedient in whatever it was that the Lord was directing him to step out in, God gave him more. You and I, if we're sitting in a place where we feel like the Lord's been silent and we haven't heard from the Lord or God hasn't directed us, Perhaps he has directed us. We just haven't stepped out yet. 
He has called us to something, to tear down a stronghold in our life, to, to give up an area of our life or surrender something in our life to Him. He's laid it out. It's just on us when we want to be obedient, when we want to step. He's already given us a victory, but we have to apprehend the inheritance. We've got to step out and lay hands to it. What we see in Joshua chapter 2, it says, Now Joshua the son of Nun sent out two men from the Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went, and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. Now, Joshua, you would have thought Joshua would have learned his lesson about sending out spies. How'd that work out for him last time? Kadesh Barnea, how many spies did they send out? How many came back with a bad report? Everything but two, right? So, I guess now we understand why Joshua only sent two. The rest of them were a waste of time. But these two spies that he sends to go out into the land, we're going to see as we take a look at this story, I don't know that they really brought back any valuable intel. I don't know that they brought back anything that was, it was important for Joshua's conquest of Jericho. I mean, you and I, we know how Jericho's going to fall, right? Are those spies really going to be helping at all? Not at all. There's nothing they're going to come back with that's going to enable or equip Joshua to do what God's called them to do. So why are they going? Well, I would say because there's a woman in Jericho who needs saved. And so the Lord lays on Joshua's heart to send out two witnesses. Sound familiar? Book of Revelation talks about two witnesses. The Bible says by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a thing is established. These guys go forward to spy and you're trying to tell me they just happen to end up at a harlot's house? Well, why are they at the harlot's house? During that time, in that period of time, more often than not, the, the innkeepers or the, the inn where the majority of people visiting into a land would come, would come through what you and I would call today a brothel. That was Rahab's place. And for them to go there, you know, nobody would think anything of it. But the funny thing is, these two guys enter into the city, and what happens to them? It's not like they were incognito, man. The king's on them right now. Right now, he knows they're there. Right now, he knows what they're about. Immediately, he understands. It says that they went to the house of Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut. And when it was dark... The men went out, and where they went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the flax, the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Man, this Rahab's a pretty neat, a pretty neat gal. Sometimes, God goes out of his way to spend time talking to somebody that you and I wouldn't give 
the time of day. If you and I were walking through Jericho, chances are if we saw Rahab, we'd have something to say. But I don't know whether or not we'd have spent the time to reach out the way that God goes out of his way to send two witnesses through Joshua to come to Jericho, to end up at Rahab's house, to be hidden by her, so that, so that she could come face to face with the truth, which is, she trusts, she has faith. Oh, come on, Jackie, what are you talking about? Rahab the harlot is in the hall of faith. See what? Yeah. Rahab the harlot is in the hall of faith. Hold your finger here. Turn to Hebrew chapter 11, verse 31. When we take a look at the hall of faith, as we look at these guys, we're, we're not going to be surprised by, by most of these names. By most of these names, we're not going to have a problem. We, we see Abraham in the hall of faith, right? By faith, Abraham. Well, of course, Abraham belongs, godly person. We see by faith, Moses. We say, see by faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. Now, Jacob may be a stretch for some of us, but okay, all right, we, we can buy that. Then we come down to verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. She received the spies with peace. She acted in faith. It's a saving faith. Why is it a saving faith? Because she put her weight in, her trust in, she trusted in. James chapter 2, verse 25, James says the same thing about Rahab. says that Rahab, the harlot, was justified... By her works, you saw her faith evident. What was her works? That she hid the spies and she took care of them. But she lied. But she's a harlot. But in Christ, we're all sinners, ain't we? Every single one of us. Every one of us. Every one of us is guilty. Every one of us falls short. The difference is Rahab knew who she was. There was a time in the church where people used to think that the majority of people think they've done something too bad to be saved. Nowadays, it's the opposite. They're too good. Well, I'm a good person. I'm not as bad as Rahab the harlot. Well, I see Rahab the harlot's name in Hebrews chapter 11. My name's not there. And God, to God, Rahab the harlot was valuable enough for him to go out of his way to go into the city to reach out to her. To let her come face to face with her faith and allow her faith to put on working clothes so that we can see the kind of faith that she has. But that's not the end of the story of Rahab, is it? Because in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, there are four women named. And one of those four women is Rahab. Yeah, Rahab. 
She's part of the genealogy of Christ. She marries a guy in Judah named Salmon. They have a son. You might recognize the name of his son. He is Boaz. The same Boaz who marries Ruth. The same Boaz who becomes infamous. So infamous that one of the pillars in the temple is named Boaz. Strength. That Boaz and Ruth's fields are the fields that the shepherds were wandering around in when Jesus was born. And the angels came down and proclaimed for the first time Jesus Christ had been born. All that comes through Rahab. All that occurs because God lays on the heart of Joshua to send his two witnesses, two spies, to go into Jericho. God doesn't need any intel from Jericho. They're going to march around and in a circle real quiet. On the seventh day, they're going to make more noise than they did on any other day. They're going to blow the trumpet. The walls are going to fall down and they're going to whoop them. We know the story. Those spies went for one purpose. To reach out and touch a harlot who had faith. That's why they're there. That's that's how these guys... They apprehend all that God has for them. It says in verse 7, So the men pursued them by the road to the Jordan of the fords, and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Did you catch that? Already she knows. I know the Lord. Oh, by the way, you'll notice in your Bible that that word Lord is capital L-O-R-D. She uses the covenantal name of God. How'd she know the covenantal name of God? That's Yahweh. The Y-H-V-H. The Tetragrammaton. The impronounceable name. She uses it. I know the Lord has given you the land. I know already she had this understanding. And the terror of you has fallen on us, and on all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Now, do you remember way back when we read in the book of Numbers when the spies came back what they said? They said that we are as grasshoppers in their eyes. We are as grasshoppers in their eyes and ours. They know they can crush us. They know they can whoop us. They know that they're going to have the victory. That's what the ten said. They didn't believe. What was the truth? They were afraid of them the whole time. The whole 40 years. The whole 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Because God said way back in Exodus that he would send the terror ahead of them. That they would be afraid. That the people would be afraid of what God was doing. So all the inhabitants of the land were faint-hearted. Not most, not some, all of the inhabitants of the land. For we have heard how the Lord, covenantal name of God, dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. And when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two king of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. Oh, by the way, remember Og, Og of Bashan? He was one of the Anakim, the giants. 
fact, the Bible goes so far as to describe the size of his bed. A lot of people put this, this idea, Og of Bashan, it, it, that word Bashan comes up again in Psalm 22. The Lord says, the bulls of Bashan have encircled me. It becomes synonymous with uh, demons, demonic activity. It's as though Jesus, in Psalm 22, speaking from the cross, is talking about the demons that are around, dancing, screaming, hollering. The bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Og of Bashan, one of the Anakim, one of the... One of the, the giants that came after that were deeply rooted in demonic activity. And there they whooped them. And the people in Jericho were afraid. They were scared to death. They knew that God was giving them the victory. They knew that God was going to, 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 to grant unto them the land. And as soon as we heard these things, listen, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. Now listen, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven, above, and on the earth beneath. It's not some tribal deity. She says he is God of all. He is God of everything. Everything. Rahab knew. She knew who God was. She knew who she was. And she trusted God for her life. Now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token. And spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her and said, Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the lamb, that we will deal kindly and truly with you. And she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall. She dwelt on the wall. Isn't that interesting? What falls down? Walls of Jericho, right? Except for part of it. Rahab's house is still there. That old harlot's place, you know. And she said to them, get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide there three days, until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards you can go your own way. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless... When we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, your father's household into your home, so it shall be. Whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood is on his own head. We will be guiltless. But whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is even laid upon him. So Rahab and her family were saved by their faith in the God of Israel. But not by their faith in the rope. By their faith in the God of Israel. Where our faith is placed matters. You can go to certain organizations today. For example, uh, AA, Alcohol, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, which originally was... Uh, 
was founded, begun based on the principles of the Beatitude. But ultimately, as it went, it, it came to a point where for AA, you would put your trust and faith in your higher power. We don't want to offend anybody. So you put your faith in your higher power. But if your higher power is a light bulb, it's not going to do you any good. If your higher power is a doorknob or a Coke machine, or your higher power is a God of your making, where your faith is placed is what matters. In the church today, we see the very same things happening. People put their faith in a work. I put my faith in my baptism. Does that mean I shouldn't be baptized? Absolutely, you should be baptized. But my baptism didn't save me. My faith in the Lord Jesus Christ saves me. My faith has working clothes. There are things that I do. But those things are not what my faith is in. My faith is in Him. Everything else is just a scarlet cord of redemption hung out the window. That rope couldn't do nothing for Rahab, could it? But it was a token, a sign. For the nation of Israel, what was their token? What was the token for the nation of Israel? Abraham said, Man, I'm excited. God, he's going to give me a, a token. He said that we're going to have a token. And so the Lord's going to express to me the token, the relationship, so people will know that, that we are following the Lord God Almighty, right? You remember what the token was? Circumcision. Nobody's going to see that. Why does anybody need to see it? Well, you know, I want everybody to see how holy and just I am, don't I? Isn't that why there are groups that wear certain collars or big old fancy hats or do whatever things they do to draw attention to my holiness? My righteousness? This is a token? The Lord gives them a token nobody could see. It was important that they had a token nobody could see. Why? Because the message was it needs to be something in your heart, not trusting in the token. For the church today, there are two tokens. Baptism and communion. But neither baptism nor communion save. They're tokens. They're signs of what God has given us. What God wants to do to us. What God wants to work in our lives. They aren't what brings salvation. Are they not important? No, absolutely they're important. Just as circumcision was important for the nation of Israel. It wasn't what saved. Scarlet cord wasn't what saved Rahab. Her faith in God is what saved her. Her ability to trust, her ability to put her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we see here? Listen, Joshua was a savior to Rahab and a judge to Jericho. Right? All of Jericho was afraid. All of Jericho knew something was coming, but all of Jericho didn't want salvation did they all of jericho didn't ask to be saved all of jericho didn't put their faith in the lord god all of jericho didn't go to rahab's house just rahab and her family joshua yehoshua jesus he becomes a picture of jesus christ all the way through the book of joshua and you can go through the book of joshua and the book of revelation and see as you go through the different judgments exact same things taking place that joshua leads 
that Jesus Christ takes care of in the book of Revelation. As we take a look, we want to see, we want to, we want to be able to apprehend, put our hands to everything that God has for us. And part of putting our hands to everything that God has for us means that we never see a person, no matter how wretched, as not worth God's time or ability to touch. Never see a person so wretched that we can't try to minister, bring the truth, share the word, look for the opportunity. I doubt we would have picked Rahab walking through Jericho. That's who God picked. That's who God chose to reach out to. We want to have a heart that's willing to reach out. And then look at what happens in verse 21. It says, then she said, according to your word, so be it. She sent them away and they departed. And how long did she wait to put the cord out? Right then she put it out. You don't think anybody in Jericho ever asked her, what's that hanging out your window? Her house wasn't in the middle of town. Where was her house? On a wall. Everybody walking by would see it hanging out her window. Is that like a new deal you could get at Bed Bath & Beyond to hang out your window? Scarlet Quarter Redemption? But you see, she cared more about honoring the Lord and keeping the word that he had given her than she cared about all that other stuff. Lord said, put a scarlet cord out my window. That's what he spoke through these witnesses. That's what she did. Immediately she put it out. Immediately she she hung it down. The scripture goes on to say then, Then they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers sought them all along the way, but they did not find them. So the two men returned, descended from the mountain, crossed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, truly, truly, the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands. For indeed, all the inhabitants of the country are faint hearted because of us. That's their intel. Those guys went one purpose. Jesus, in his ministry on earth, he said to his disciples one day, I have to go through Samaria. Because in Samaria, there's a woman at the well. Another time, he said, I have to go through Jericho. Why? Because there's a little short guy hanging out in a sycamore tree, and I need to go speak to him. Nobody liked, nobody liked either. Any of those people, they were outcasts of society. But God went out of his way. God went out of his way here. To reach out to Rahab, to bring salvation, to give birth to Boaz, who marries Ruth, who gives birth to Jesse, who fathers a son named David, who becomes a king and leads us all the way to Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It's amazing the things that the Lord will do. Well, in chapter 2, we see the faith of Rahab. But now as we come from the faith of Rahab, putting her faith and trust in the Lord God Almighty, the scarlet thread of redemption, we, we see all the pictures, don't we, of everyone had to be in the house. They had to come in. How many ways was there to be saved? One. 
They had to be in Rahab's house. They had to put their faith and trust in him. We see all that same, the same concept when we look at the tabernacle or when we look at so many other areas within scripture that speak of one way, Jesus Christ, who leads men to the Father, one way to salvation, not a bunch of ways, one way. One way. Well, then we see that Jericho's ready to fall, right? So now's the time. They're afraid. Go get them. Is that what they do? Nope. Now, you know that the Bible says God's ways aren't our ways. Have you, have you read that anywhere before? In case you haven't, you need to know. God's ways, not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. We think we know when something should happen, how it should happen, the way it should happen. This is how it should go. This is obviously the, the way it should happen, God. So here's the plan. But God isn't following those. The Lord says, why don't you trust in me? Remember, what is our relationship with God? A walk. So that means we walk with him. If we run ahead, we're going to get in trouble. If we fall behind, we're going to get picked off. We just need to walk with the Lord step by step. What what do you got next, Lord? Next, he wants to show the children of Israel their faith. He wants to grow their faith. Because in the battle of Jericho, are they going to need faith? Especially when they hear the battle plans, right? Especially when they hear what the, what the scheme is. What God wants them to do in order to take the city. But before, instead of God taking them straight to Jericho, he's got something else in mind first. You see, our steps of faith with the Lord are going to constantly be a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, and a little bit bigger. We can't skip ahead and go to this giant leap of faith without having taken the steps of faith we need as we walk with Jesus day by day, moment by moment. What is it that Jesus had for you today? What was part of God's plan, his purpose, his design for your day? Psalm 139 says they're all written in his book. That God has a a plan for for every moment. Did we get up early in the morning and receive our marching orders? Did we call in the name of the Lord while our day was still quiet before it got psycho? Because you know, if you don't, it's psycho out the gate. And it don't get quiet again until you're ready to fall asleep. And then it repeats again the next day. Well, look what it says in chapter 3. And Joshua rose when? Early in the morning. When did Jesus get up to speak to the Father? Early in the morning. When did God tell Jeremiah to get up? Early in the morning. I bet if we did a careful search through the scripture, we'd find God telling his people, get up early. When it's quiet and spend time with me. Listen, if Jesus, the Son of God, fully God and fully man, needed to draw himself away to a quiet time with the Lord in the morning, why do we think we don't need to? We do. Yeah, me too. Me too. Nothing harder in the world than get up early in the morning just to spend time with the Lord. Oh, I... Get up early to go hunting, I can do that. Get up early to go fishing, I can do that. Get up early to go do something, to go travel, to go something. Oh, I can do that. 
Get up early to spend time with the Lord. And it's like the devil is sitting on my head on a pillow. And it's so hard to pry. You know, it's like the last 10 minutes, you finally found that perfect, quiet sleep. And then that first alarm goes off. That devil plays with our minds, don't he? He says, oh, you don't have to get up now. You could just sit here another 30 minutes and then go. We can choose to do that. But Joshua got up early in the morning, guys. He rose early in the morning to receive what God had for him for that day. And what did he have for him that day? The word of faith. They set out from the acacia grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over. Uh, most people point to the area being Beth Bara or the, the house of the crossing is, is the name of it. Um, it's also the same place as you go through the scripture where John the Baptist began his baptism. At Beth Bara, the place of the crossing there in the wilderness. They come to that place. So after three days, the officers went through the camp. And they commanded the people and said, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you will set out from your place and go after it. The ark of the covenant is with them. Now what is the ark of the covenant? We studied it as we went through the first five books of Moses. The ark of the covenant is a box. And placed in that box are different items that speak to the failure of the nation of Israel to be obedient to God. What's in the box? Ten Commandments. The initial copy of the Ten Commandments? No, the initial copy of the Ten Commandments got broke. Because they were breaking the Ten Commandments already. So this is a copy of the Ten Commandments. Speaking of the failure of the children of Israel to keep the Ten Commandments. What else is in there? Manna. Manna. Why they put manna in there? Manna. What, what does God call manna? God never calls it manna. God calls it Bread from heaven. Man calls it, what's it? That's what manna means, what's it? Jesus in John chapter 6 said what? Your fathers ate bread from heaven in the wilderness. I'm here to tell you I am the bread of life. And what did they say? What's it? What's it? John chapter 6. That's when most of the disciples left Jesus. Teaching was too hard for them to grasp. That's where Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. Unless you ingest me, unless I become a part of you, we're not together. Oh, that's a hard teaching. They bailed. They left. All but the twelve. Bread from heaven. That was in the Ark of the Covenant. What else? Aaron's rod that budded, right? And why did Aaron's rod need to bud? Because the people said, why should Aaron get to be the high priest? I think I could be high priest. I could go see what God wants. Well, the Lord's going to choose then. Bring all your rods before the Lord. And Aaron's rod budded. also speaks of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Life from death. The rod wasn't alive, right? That's a walking stick. Dead. And almonds budded on it. And that was kept in there. All these things talk about different aspects of the children of Israel's failure. That's the ark. But that's not the most important part of the ark, is it? 
The ark is made up of two things. Most people put them both together. But in the Bible, they're not together. The ark is the box. The lid to the ark. The mercy seat was made out of solid hammered gold. The Ark of the Covenant was made out of wood with gold inlaid, laid on the outside. Speaking of humanity and deity, Jesus Christ would bear within himself the failures of mankind. And it's all pictured to us by the mercy seat. Where did they sprinkle the blood? On the mercy seat. The mercy seat was a lid, right? So when God looked down on the failure of the people, what did he see? The blood of the lamb. What did the blood of the lamb do? It covered the failures of the people. It covered their sins. And God could dwell in the midst of the people. Isn't that what the blood of Jesus Christ does for you and I today? The blood of Jesus Christ that was sprinkled on the mercy seat? Romans lays out for us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? It also tells us that Jesus Christ is our hilasterion. In the Greek, hilasterion means mercy seat. He's the lid. He's the part that covers man's failures. He's the part where the blood is applied. He's the part that, that is laid over the top so that God can dwell in the midst of his people. Because his blood has washed us clean. Washed us free. So here Joshua says, get the ark. Guys, the ark is going to be a picture of Jesus Christ. What did God say when the people went in? He said, I will go before you. So what do we see happening in Joshua chapter 3? God's going to go before him. The presence of God, the ark of the covenant. Carried on the back of the Kohathites, Levites that were charged to carry the ark of the covenant. So the instruction that Joshua receives from the Lord early in the morning, he gives to his officers to tell the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant and the priests moving, it's time to move. So everybody get ready. We're about ready to move. But he says in verse 4, But there will be a space between you and it of about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not Pass this way before. They said, leave a half a mile between you and the ark. Leave a half a mile between you and the ark. So you can clearly see which way the Lord is leading. So you can see. Jesus would go alone, wouldn't he? And he has gone before us, hasn't he? about the distance of 2,000 years, Jesus is out before us. And if we will keep our eyes on him, then we will be directed as to which way to go. Keep our eyes on the Lord. Keep our eyes directed toward him, recognizing that Christ went ahead of us alone, that he has already won the victory. All we got to do is put our foot where he's put his. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctify yourself. Be holy as I am holy. Last time they were charged to sanctify themselves, they all did the same thing. They changed their clothes and they went into the mikvaot. The mikvaot is a ritual bath. 
They would go take a ritual bath, cleanse themselves, put on clean clothes, set apart, set apart for whatever God has for me today, directed unto the Lord. They were sanctifying, sanctifying themselves before him. Get ready for God is going to move. Then Joshua spoke to the priests and said, take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. Okay, that was the first step that God had directed Joshua to do. I know that because in verse 7, God's going to give him the second step. Step by step, we walk with the Lord. If God is directing us, leading us, guiding us, if he's laid something on our heart and we're not willing to step out in obedience, then we will stay where we are until we do. Until we step out. Until we become obedient to what God has, what God wants to do. Verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You will command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you will stand in the Jordan. You will stand. Again, still talking about words of faith. God's direction. Following God's direction in our lives. What was the next step? You tell the priest to go all the way to the edge of the Jordan and stand in it. They literally are going to bring the Ark of the Covenant to the middle of the Jordan River. They're going to walk it out to the middle. Jordan River is in flood stage at this current time. Probably the widest a mile. More often than not, the Jordan River is very narrow. Today, when you go to the Jordan River, if you're really athletic, you might be able to jump across it, maybe. But keep in mind that the millions of people that live in Israel are using that for all their fresh water. So a lot of the water in the Jordan River is being taken. But at this time, it wasn't necessarily that way. So here they come, at flood stage. The people in Jericho are thinking... Well, we got at least a couple of months because there's no way these million and a half people are crossing the Jordan River right now. Right? We got time. We make some more weapons. We'll get ready. You know, it's not coming yet. They're not going to be able to come this fast. Well, let's see what happens. He tells them. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here, hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this... You will know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you all the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Parasites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. First time in the Bible it is referenced in that way. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. Not just of Israel. It's all his. Every square inch. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for every tribe. We'll see what they do in a minute. And it will come to pass as the soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord of all the earth will rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan will be cut off the waters that come down from upstream and they will stand as a heap. So Joshua says, hey, this time when it was at the Red Sea, what happened? Did they have to get their feet wet? 
At the Red Sea, they're standing there. I don't know what to do. Didn't have to put their feet in the water. Moses stretched out his rod. The Red Sea stood up. They walked across on dry land. The Egyptians trying to do so, following behind them, were drowned when Moses put his staff back down over the waters and the waters came back together again. Now, we come to the Jordan River, a new generation, right? Not the same. New generation. All they heard was stories of the Red Sea. They didn't see it. Right? 40 years wandering in the wilderness. New generation. But this time, God wants a little more. This time, the Lord wants a little more faith. Get your feet wet. Put your feet in the water. Well, Lord, I'd really rather if the water would stop so I know for sure that you're going to stop it and then I'll put my feet in. If that had been the attitude, they'd still be waiting by the Jordan River. But for some of us, that's ours. You see, God has directed us to a step of faith. I don't know what it is. You do. You rise up early in the morning and get your, your report from the Lord, what God has for you, what the Lord's laying on your heart. He says, I want this. There's always a step of faith, guys. There's never a time where God says, hey, well done. You know, you just take it easy from here until you see me face to face. Oh, he don't say that. There's always another step. There's always another thing. So we report to the Lord and we want to apprehend. What does God have for me? Lord, where do you want me to step? What do you want me to do? Maybe God's put it on my heart to go do something. I don't know what it is. I'm going to do it. I want to step out and do it. I want to step out. But I don't want to say, Lord, make sure everything looks like it's all smooth sailing first. And then I'll do it. Because sometimes it never looks like smooth sailing first. Sometimes it does. I remember when, when Kathy and I were, were praying about uh, coming up to Idaho. Steve come up and visited with us in California. And we were talking about all the stuff that needed to happen for a move to, to work out. You know, and my perfect plan, uh, <clears throat> hey, I'll tell you what, Steve, it worked out for you, right? God sold your house. So as soon as my house sells, we'll come. I'd still be in California. Still got a house worth half as much as I paid for it. If you're moving to California, I'd be happy to sell it to you for double. <laughs> but if I said, Lord, I'm not going to do it until... No, the Lord never laid that on Kathy in my heart. Never did. Not one time. We knew beyond a shadow of a doubt God was calling us to go. We had this big list. Maybe you've heard me talk about it before. Big list of stuff that I had no idea how we were going to work our way through. But I thought, Lord, I don't know. We could, here's what I see are, are the, I don't know, the parts where I don't know how this is going to work. We wrote that list out at about 8 o'clock in the morning one morning. And by 10 o'clock that morning, the list was done. Two hours. That's all it took God. In two hours from not coming to coming, from not selling the house, having it rented. In two hours. I didn't even put an ad out. Because that's how God works. But I promise you, the next time the Lord says, Jackie, here's what I want you to do. And I open up a list and say, well, Lord, here's all the things that I think need to happen. Some of them may not get done like the house didn't get sold. And the Lord may say, are you going to come anyway or, or only if it looks easy? 
Only if all the I's are dotted in a T's are crossed. Do you really trust me? Do you really believe that you can cast all your cares on me for I care for you? Because if you really believe me, it doesn't matter. Come. For every one of us, there are going to be those steps. Those things that God wants us to do. Those areas that the Lord is directing us to. And we want to be obedient to him. We want to say, yeah, Lord, I, I want to step out. Yeah, Lord, I want, to, I, want to, I want to do whatever you've laid out for me. Whatever you're directing. However you're guiding. The church in the world, as far as I'm concerned, is asleep. Well, I know that there are places where there's a lot of persecution and things are happening, but hey, I don't know. I've traveled. I've been in the Amazon. I've been to to the far reaches of the planet. I've gone to the places where there's persecution on the church. The same things that plague the church here plague the church there. The same struggles. People aren't different. Do you realize that? We're all pretty much the same. We all struggle with selfishness. We all struggle with sin. We all struggle with our, 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 our flesh. We all struggle with really totally surrendering to the Lord. Sure, there are victories and there are great victories that occur all over the place. But for the church as a whole to move forward, we all got to make a decision that wherever God leads, where he leads, I will follow. Where he says to go, I'm going to go. When the ark goes, I want to be behind it. Eyes fixed. He went over that hill, I'm going over that hill. He went around that bend, I'm going around that bend. It doesn't matter if it looks like lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, I want to go. I want to be willing to follow. And so that's what happens here. He says, here guys, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. So in verse 14, we see the walk of faith. He's told them what God requires of them. We're going to go watch the water be heaped up and we're going to walk across. Now it's time for them to put the soles of their foot to the rubber, the rubber of the sole of the foot to the road. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the ark came to the Jordan, the feet of the priests who bore the ark dipped to the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zaratan. Isn't that interesting? Why did he about two miles away, have the water heap up there by a town called Adam. Curious. Curious that they would, they would heap up there. The presence of the Lord here, the waters heap up by Adam. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, the dead sea, failed, were cut off, and the people crossed over to Jericho. And the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. That's the walk of faith. 
The word of faith said you can do it. The walk of faith actually got up and did it. They walked across. The priest got out into the water. The water heaped up. The children of Israel walked across as on dry ground. By the way, if you ever get a chance to walk in the bottom of the Jordan River, it is the muckiest, mushy mud ever. And where they were crossing, especially because all the sediment from way up in the north, where the Jordan comes from, uh, Jordan means from the heights of Dan, Jordan. The water comes down, brings all that sediment. Now they're just above the Dead Sea. So it's in its in, in the, the muckiest, mushiest mess of it all. But they walk across like it's on dry ground. The Lord takes them across. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua and said, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe. Now, he's already done this. Now, they're going to do the witness of faith. Listen, it's one thing to receive the word of faith from the Lord directing us on what to do. It's another thing to do the walk of faith, which is actually performing whatever it is that God has directed us to do. Stepping out, following the Lord, going where he's called us to do. But then he calls us to bear, bear witness. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, you teach these things to your children and your grandchildren. When you rise up, when you lie down, when you're walking around, when you're hanging out, teach them about these times when you receive the word of faith, you walk by faith, be a witness to them of the faith of God working and moving in your life. That's what we're supposed to do. The next generation is our job. If we don't do our job, there is no next generation. It stops with us. So we're to be that witness. He says, so I want you to take one man from each of the 12 tribes and command them saying, take for yourselves 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan. That's in the middle where the priests are from the place where the priest's feet stood firm and carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. The place where they're going to lodge is called Gilgal. It's going to be their home base. Gilgal is going to be the base of operations for the conquest of Canaan. And as they come to Gilgal, they're going to set up these memorial stones to remind them of this victory, this time their faith met together, the word of faith met with the action of faith, and they saw God move in a mighty way. So, in a few weeks when we study about their, their defeat at Ai, and they come home dejected, and they're walking into the place, they're going to pass by a heap of 12 stones that says, Remember. Remember what happens when you walk by faith. Because that's what these 12 stones are shouting. Remember what God has done for you. Remember what God wants to do with you. So Joshua said to them, that this may be a sign in verse 6 among you, when your children ask you in times to come, what do these stones mean to you? And you will answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Why does God have them do it? Because he knows we have a tendency to forget. We forget. We forget what he did for us last year. We forget what he did for us 
20 years ago. We forget what he does. A long time ago, somebody gave Kathy and I great advice. I, I, I would that we had heated it as we should have. But they said, get yourself a journal and write on the front of the journal, Yahweh Yideh, the Lord provides. And write down all these stories, a memorial to how God delivered you in various times and, and, and in various places, that that would become a remembrance. A place for me to start when I say, the Lord wants me to teach my kids that. How God delivered me when they were little, when they were young. Most of the stories my kids know. Most of the stories my kids will ignore. The Xbox is calling. Or someone's texting. Or something is going on. But there will come a day. When my sons will find themselves in a similar situation. And then it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit scream in their ear. Remember Yahweh Yireh. The book of the provision of the Lord. And how the Lord was with your father before you. And he will be with you. It's my prayer. Their faith has to move from my faith to their own, right? Always, it always has to be that way. They always have to come to that. It's why I have the Bible I have. One day I'm going to be gone, but I'm going to leave behind three or four Bibles scribbled with all my notes and nonsense written all through them. And while my kids are fighting over the vast fortune that I'll leave them, They're going to end up with one. It's my prayer that the memorial stones that I set up in my Bible speak to a time when they need it. That's what I can do. I can't force them to be somewhere where they're not. But I can do the best I can to lay out the memorial stones, the witness of the faith that God has shown us, that God has done. So the children of Israel did as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the midst of the Jordan. As the Lord had spoken Joshua according to the number of the tribes of Israel and carried them over with them to the place where they were lodging and they laid them there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood. And they are there to this day. So next time you're in Israel, go look. Find Beth Bara. Dive down in the middle of the Jordan, which flows like flowing mud. And look for the 12 stones. Why did he put them in the middle of the river? Because he could. Because the water was stopped up. And Joshua wants to say, hey, not only are we going to have that memorial stone here, but look, I'm going to put a heaping pile right here in the middle, 12 stones in the middle. This is where the ark stood when we crossed over, setting up that opportunity to bear witness to the people of what God had done. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished. How do you like that job? 
Okay, priests, go get the ark, stand in the water. It was exciting for a while, right? Step out in the water, slowly that water just stops coming down, and you can't even see where it's heaped up. There's just no water anymore. And you stand in the middle, wait, while a million, a million and a half people, two million, cross. I don't know how long that takes. And then 12, one from each tribe, gathers stones out of the middle and piles them up. And then Joshua piles 12 stones by himself in the middle where you're standing. And then when it's all over, you get to walk across. Sometimes the work that God has you do isn't necessarily out doing all the the stuff everybody else was doing. Sometimes he just has you be in that rock of faith, standing in the middle of the river. Sometimes he got you gathering stones. Sometimes he's got you piling them all by yourself. It's not always the same, but it's always good. We can always trust in what God wants to do and how God wants to work. Well, it came to pass when all the people completely crossed over that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. Now the men of Reuben and of Gad and half tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. You remember those guys, right? Those are the guys that promise, you know, we're staying over on this side, but, but we want to come in, we want to enter in, we want to, we want to pass over. And so the deal was, okay, you guys can stay here, your families can stay here, but all your fighting men come and fight. In the book of Numbers, the fighting men are numbered. 136,930 men. How many came? 40,000. 40,000 came over. Almost 100,000 said, oh, that's good enough. Ah, they won't need us. We're not going to go. We're going to stay here. It's more important for us to build barns, make bigger barns, bring in the, the harvest, bring in the crop, bring in all this stuff, build for ourselves our mighty kingdom of Reuben Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh instead of walking out and doing what God wanted them to do. Only 40,000 would go. So 40,000 come out before the children of Israel. Scripture goes on to tell us then. So on the day that the Lord exalted Joshua on the side of all of Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord spoke to Joshua and said, Command the priests to bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. So Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. Why did he tell us that? The tenth day of the first month. That's the tenth of Nisan. Uh, Another special thing happened on the tenth of Nisan, 32 AD. That's when Jesus presented himself in the temple as the Messiah. It was the day when the lamb was to be presented to the people. At the place, at the place where John the Baptist would proclaim of Jesus Christ. Behold the lamb of God. 
that takes away the sin of the world at the house of the crossing at Beth Bara, the tenth day, the first month, they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. And he spoke to the children of Israel and said, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What are these stones? You let your children know. Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Oh, first a woman of faith, nation of faith, then a witness of faith, all declaring for us, if we're going to move forward and apprehend what God has for us, then that's how we got to walk. Not by sight, but by faith. Truly trusting in the Lord and stepping out. Every one of us, if we took the time, every one of us, there's some challenge that is laid before us right now. Some challenge laid before us. And we can come up with the best laid plans of mice and men to solve that challenge that is laid before us. Or we can choose to walk by faith. Trust the Lord and do what he's directing. Put it in his hands. The biggest problem I have with any program is when the program takes the glory. There's only one who delivers. That's not AA, it's not NA, not CR. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He delivers. He delivers. But we put our faith on him and we receive the token. That's the, that's the program. The token of here. Here's how you do it. Here's how we walk this walk of faith. Keep our eyes on Jesus. We follow those steps in CR or whatever it is. But that's the deliverance. It's him, not something else. That's where the faith needs to be. We need to, like Joshua... Get up early in the morning. Get our marching orders every day. You have a challenge that you face every single day. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's family. Maybe you don't even know what it is until you get up in the morning and it hits you in the face. But it's too late after it happens to have quiet time with the Lord. Get up. Receive from him. Hear the word of faith. Follow the word of faith with the walk of faith and then bear witness of it to your children so that they learn to do the same thing. And that's step one in apprehending everything that God has for us. Amen? Why don't you stand with us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We can be gathered here before you, Lord. We thank you for an opportunity to to just hear from your word. God, we pray, Lord, that your word would be alive God, that you would guide us, that we would remember 
the faith of Rahab, that we would remember the faith of the nation of Israel as the priest stepped out on the water and the waters dried up and they walked across. I pray that we would remember to set up a witness, Lord, a witness to our children, to the next generation. We don't have kids. There's kids all around. Bear witness. Bear witness to how the Lord has brought you through, how you have had the victory as you walk by faith. If the Lord seems to be quiet in our life, and maybe it's because we're too busy to listen, and we need to set aside that quiet time with the Lord just to be still and know that He is God, just to, just to spend a moment in prayer, just to spend a moment in His Word, just to spend a moment reaching out to Him <coughs> to receive what He has for us. Lord, I pray, God, as we look at these concepts, this story, as the children of Israel begin the conquest, they enter into the land, it's, it's about ready to start. There's one more thing that, that you're going to do, but the first thing you teach, to learn, to receive, and walk by faith. Lord, may we truly be men and women that will walk by faith, men and women who will receive your word and follow it in obedience. Grant us the victory in the challenges we face before us, whether those challenges be work, family, friends, marriage, whatever. You have given us the victory already. Wherever we put the sole of our foot. So Lord, may we in obedience step out where you're calling us to step out. May we be who you're calling us to be. And may you receive all the glory for what you do and how you work in our lives as we seek to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.